Hello everyone, welcome to episode 96 of Pay-Per-View. This is the last episode of 2023, the fifth year of Pay-Per-View. Uh, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's listened, shared and supported the podcast over the last five years. You've helped information about the true nature of world events, which ultimately is the unfolding of an agenda by what I call the global cult. And the true context of current events and who's to get out to thousands of people since 2018. So thank you. Everyone who's sent me comments and, and messages of support for the podcast. Thank you. It means a lot. It means it's worth doing. And it means the information is getting out there. So thank you. So this episode, I thought I would approach like I did the first episode. So, no intro or outro, no musical interludes between segments, no audio clip, no overall analysis at the end, hardly any editing. This is going to be almost kind of an improvised episode, but in the spirit of the first episode. And it's Christmas, so why not? So, several articles today, and they all kind of connect into each other. I'm going to start with this one. This is in the Daily Mail. Parents could be charged with domestic abuse for not using their child's preferred pronoun under controversial guidelines. The article says, A fresh row erupted over controversial guidelines from the Crown Prosecution Service that could allegedly lead to parents being charged with domestic abuse for not using their child's preferred pronoun. The CPS faced claims it was losing the plot of a guidance that could also mean someone who refuses to fund their partner's transitioning process could be committing a serious offence. However, the Mail on Sunday was told the CPS was now reviewing its controversial impacts of domestic abuse advice. Earlier this year, Feminist campaigner Maya Forstater branded the prosecution service ideologically captured and in a scathing report, the policy exchange think tank called on the CPS to replace the guidelines with something that follows British law instead of Stonewall law, a reference to the controversial diversity charity. In a report backed by ex-Justice Secretary Sir Robert Buckland and two former senior judges, policy exchange said the law placed no obligations on spouses and partners to support a partner's transgender identity, but that the CPS legal guidance on domestic abuse appeared to suggest otherwise. Last night, Sir Robert said the issue of gender is deeply sensitive. To reflect gender identity beliefs as a set of undisputed facts is not only mistaken, but comes at a huge cost, especially to the women and children the law should be there to protect. Policy Exchange's report points out that failing to support a partner's feelings about their gender is not equivalent to a form of domestic abuse, which is a serious offence. The article continues. Former Lord Justice of Appeal Sir Patrick Elias said, The paper raises very serious concerns about the impartiality and independence of the CPS when dealing with the highly sensitive issue of the treatment of transgender persons. It appears to have adopted uncritically the controversial views of Stonewall. The report was released just as a new director of public prosecutions, Stephen Parkinson, took up his post and last night the CPS made clear that parts of the domestic abuse advice were now being reviewed. A spokesman said, we are reviewing our guidance to ensure it helps prosecutors understand the lasting impact domestic abuse can have. Prosecutors should consider the wider patterns of behaviour, power and control when considering, when considering appropriate charges in line with the law. 
However, Stonewall took issue with the policy exchange report. A spokesperson said, this report has a fantastical understanding of how Stonewall, through its Diversity Champions program, works with employers such as the CPS and as such lacks credibility. We provide guidance and advice to employers on staff inclusion, which organisations take by choice, but it has nothing to do with influencing external policy, as this report erroneously claims. So we're seeing more and more efforts to take parents out of the equation because the agenda in the end, as I've said since the beginning of this podcast, is that children are raised by the state and in the end created synthetically, or at least they'll be biological synthetic created in a laboratory and an end to parents and families as Aldous Huxley talks about in Brave New World Aldous Huxley talked about or wrote about artificial wounds and babies grown in pods basically and the technology for that is now in the public arena, albeit in a more rudimentary stage at this point. The agenda is for a non-procreating, technologically produced, biological, synthetic human. And we're seeing the efforts to make that happen all around us. Here's a few examples. You've got the politically correct attacks on we've got the woke attacks on men and women men with toxic masculinity and now women are being targeted in various ways because they don't need men and women because the cult don't want men and women they want an end to gender. You want a synthetic, non-procreating, no-gender, humanistic agenda. Because the gender, we're seeing the gender confusion in schools with sex education and transgender propaganda and drag queens reading stories to children in schools and libraries. And you've got the effects on fertility and the future effects on fertility and procreation of the COVID fake vaccine. I say fake because it doesn't meet any previous criteria of a vaccine and it doesn't stop transmission or infection of a virus that never existed as I've gone into detail in this podcast over the last few years and in the books and in my new book Reality Check in which I talk in much more detail about the synthetic human agenda and examples, uh, further examples of how it's playing out. And I go into the real deepest reasons why this agenda exists at all in that book. So we're going to move on now to the next story. This is in the Telegraph, 
UK birth slump dubbed good for planet as number of babies born hits 20 year low. And this is before the consequences of the COVID fake vaccine on fertility and reproduction. Britain's top demographics experts said the falling number of babies born in Britain is a good thing after new data showed the number of births had hit a 20-year low. Professor Sarah Harper, CBE, founder and director of the Oxford Institute of Population Aging and a former government advisor, said falling birth rates in the West were good for our planet. Her comments came after official figures from the Office for National Statistics showed there were 605,479 live births in England and Wales last year, the lowest number since 2002. The total was down 3.1% compared to 2021 and is part of a long-term decline in the number of births across Britain and the developed world. Professor Harper told The Telegraph, I think it's a good thing that the high-income, high-consuming countries of the world are reducing the number of children that they're having. I'm quite positive about that. The academic said, declining fertility in rich countries would help to address the general overconsumption that we have at the moment, which has a negative impact on the planet. Professor Harper served on the Prime Minister's Council for Science and Technology between 2014 and 2017. She was awarded the CBE for services to demography in 2018. She said the UK's declining birth rate was inevitable and in line with the trends in other developed economies. She said... We will see smaller populations in high-income countries going forward. It's just going to be a trend of the 21st century. And that will actually be good for general overconsumption that we have at the moment on our planet. But why is it a trend of the 21st century? And why is it happening in other countries as well? While slowing population growth may reduce carbon emissions... The human-caused climate change hoax rears its ugly head again. When humans are actually not causing climate change and the extent of climate change is massively overplayed. As I detailed in the books over the years, analysts have warned this birth slump also poses significant challenges for economic growth. A shrinking workforce puts pressure on younger generations to pay more tax for the health care of older people. And you know, that also plays into what we're talking about in this episode, because there's a guy I've mentioned in this podcast before a few times, and in the books, called Dr. Richard Day. He was a an executive of an organization called Planned Parenthood, which was a Rockefeller organization. Rockefeller is massively part of this cult. And it's a eugenics operation, Planned Parenthood. And if you want to depopulate the planet, then getting rid of elderly people, obviously, is... And stopping babies being born in the first place is obviously perfect for your agenda. Dr. Richard Day gave a presentation to a group of pediatricians in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania in 1969 and he told them to turn off recording equipment not to take notes because he was going to tell them how the world was planned to change and even in fine detail he was incredibly accurate not in everything but in a vast amount of what he said 
And one of the things he talked about was the eugenics, the depopulation, the birth control, etc. And he said that the plan was to divide young from old, uh, which we see with the human caused climate change hoax. The young people being told that adults are ruining the planet and scaring young kids and young people in school with climate propaganda and adverts on television. And we saw during COVID how kids were scared into staying home and wearing masks and getting the fake vaccine to protect granny. And Dr. Richard Day and his predictions uh, were uh, noted down by one paediatrician in that meeting uh, in 1969 called Dr. Lawrence Dunnigan, who did take notes and did a series of interviews years later about what they had said. And one of the other uh, statements they made was that there might come a time when the, the elderly are seen as too much of a burden and it's decided that you know it's time for them to move on. And one of the ways this is done is psychologically with fine print uh, on food jars and things like that and making uh, jars and tins difficult to open. So they have to get younger people and kids to um, read and open the jars and stuff for them. That's the fine detail to which this agenda, this cult's agenda, is played out. And Day talked about how, uh, as part of this process of the elderly stepping aside for the younger generation, uh, the elderly would get to a certain age and then they take what he called the demise pill, which would basically kill them and you know there'd be there'd be a big party celebrating their life and then they take the pill and die. And we saw during the COVID hoax how elderly people were or some some people saw it, you know, those who were were had their eyes open to look beyond the mainstream narrative, how elderly people were <coughs> treated in care homes with do not resuscitate forms placed on beds when uh, they, they didn't need to be and elderly people killed off with uh, drugs like midazolam in combination with morphine in this country with remdesivir which is used in the execution process in America with Collectra in Germany and other countries had similar situations and in Britain and America this at least this this uh, euthanasia of elderly people, which was basically the what's in Britain was called the Liverpool Care Pathway, which ran for a while in Britain before it was stopped officially, but then it came back in another guise during the COVID hoax. That was covered up 
and labelled the first wave of COVID. And there's a brilliant documentary on the iconic media platform, ICKONIC, called A Good Death? Question mark. And A Good Death is a, uh, a literal uh, translation of euthanasia. So we're going to move on to the next story now. Talk about the COVID fake vaccine, which is all part of this depopulation agenda, as well as other reasons. Actually, before I do that, this is a very relevant story. More than half of CDC staff leave to work for Big Pharma and revolving door of workers at public agency makes it vulnerable to corruption, report warns. Well, it's not vulnerable to, it's been corrupt for decades. More than half of CDC staff go on to work for Big Pharma, a first-of-its-kind report has found. The analysis found between 2004 and 2020, 54% of workers who left the agency for another job moved into the private health sector. At the same time, a significant number of new staff hired by government health agencies come directly from private drug firms. Researchers from the University of Southern California and Harvard University who published the report said this revolving door between federal workers and private healthcare companies has made government agencies vulnerable to corruption. They already are corrupt. The study leader called to expand federal calling off laws which prohibit former government employees from immediately lobbying on behalf of private organisations. The report also found that over a third of people appointed to the Department of Health and Human Services leave to take jobs in the healthcare private sector, as do 53% of employees at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. The HHS is the branch of the US government that deals with health and CDC is one of its major components. Researchers found that of 766 people appointed to HHS between 2004 and 2020, 15% had been employed in private industry immediately before their appointment in government. And almost 32%, almost a third, left their HHS role for industry. Industry was the most common and next destination. This revolving door has been going on for decades. And anyone wonder how the COVID fake vaccine, even with the flawed uh, testing and the lack of proper trials, uh, was given uh, permission to be used. On top of that, you've got Bill Gates, uh, who who funds the MHRA in Britain, the Medicine and Health, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, which gave permission for the vaccine to be used, in, the fake vaccine to be used in Britain, who funds pharmaceutical companies that produced the COVID fake vaccine, who promoted the fake vaccine through the media, who owns the World Health Organization, which told the world that there was a pandemic in the first place, and who t he told the world that the only way out was the fake vaccine that he was funding and had invested in. Who's given money to the FDA and the CDC in America. And in a chapter called Who's Who and How in Reality Check. As part of a three uh, chapters in that book on COVID. Very comprehensive, lengthy chapters. Very detailed. I, in which I expose every element of the hopes. I look at 
a vast range of names and people who were involved in the hoax. And the number of times that Bill Gates' his name comes up is breathtaking. Even for me, while I was researching, I knew that he was massively involved in the hoax. But when I was putting it together and researching it, it even surprised me. So Bill Gates is a classic example of how the medical profession, the media, government and health agencies are corrupt and can all play their part in a global hoax as they did with COVID-19. People say, well, that's not possible to run a hoax on that scale and for all these different areas of society to all contribute to it. But it happened. And Bill Gates is a classic example of how it can happen. And I go into that in much greater detail in Reality Check. So we're going to move on to the next story now. This is actually perfect for what I've just been talking about. This is in the Daily Mail. I've talked and written about this before, but this is perfect to introduce this story after what I've just said. Uh revealed the poison plotters in number 10 Nadine Doris unveils the shocking story of a shadowy clique that has been manipulating the Tory party for 20 years so this article is written by Nadine Doris my intention when I started to research uh, a book that she's written uh, on um, the story of how Boris Johnson was actually from power she said uh, or that was what she intended to write about in this book uh, instead, she says, what I uncovered was a small group of men, most of them unelected and some totally unknown, outside of a tight Westminster bubble, who have been operating at the heart of the Conservative Party over the past 25 years and controlling its destiny. They are, I can reveal, former Downing Street advisor Dominic Cummings, Tory party apparatchik Dougie Smith and Secretary of State Michael Gove, plus the most mysterious individual of all, a character we shall have to call Dr. No, who wields enormous influence, whom everyone was scared of, though his name is never mentioned. All too often, it is their hand on the levers which raise ministers up and drop them back down, even if they are sitting prime ministers with an 80-seat majority, as Boris Johnson was. They also brought down Ian Duncan Smith as party leader, created havoc for Theresa May and undermined Liz Truss. As one top-level contact told me, for them, it's not about democracy or the wishes of the people. It's about the decisions of a powerful, privileged and controlling few. They are the power and the throne with an entire network singing to their tune. I'm not going to read the whole article here because it's quite a long one, but I'll pick out relevant bits. What is even more shocking about this story of corruption and unaccountable power is that it has never been told before. Each of the more that, well, in the alternative media, outside the mainstream media, the claim that there are people who manipulate parties. Uh, as I'll explain in a minute, uh, that we don't see or don't appear to be uh, the ones in power in the party has been known about for a long time. But the details specifically of the Conservative Party, no, that, that's not been told before. Um, uh, anyway, the article continues. Each of the more than 50 insiders uh, I interviewed, she says, from Prime Ministers and Party Leaders 
Each of the more than 50 insiders I interviewed, uh, says Nadine Doris, from prime ministers and party leaders through cabinet ministers to civil servants and backbenchers and party grandees to special advisers, had the same tale to tell, and yet it is one you're almost certainly entirely unaware of. The idea for my book, she says, was first suggested to me by a number 10 aide who had been in place since the beginning of time. She'd sent me a text the day Boris was ousted. You're a writer, you should write the truth about this. After thinking about it, I called a contact who works at the heart of number 10 and asked, if I were to write about all that has happened since the day Boris was elected, will you meet with me and tell me everything you saw? The phone scratched and shuffled and went quiet. Sorry, I just moved out of the office. You don't mean policy stuff. You mean the games, the plot, movement movement since long before he was elected. The dark hearts, everything. I was confused. What do you mean long before he was elected? What, with an 80-seat majority? How does that work? That's ridiculous. Oh yes, they work as a group right at the centre and over the years have tarnished and ended many ministerial careers. Look, if I'm going to speak to you, it would be, have to be totally anonymous. I'd lose my job otherwise, she said. Uh, and Nadine Doris goes on to say in the article that uh, she met someone, you know, she met this person who, who agreed to meet her and they, they were tucked into a corner, uh, a private place where no one would hear them. Uh, she says... During the course of my research, I quickly discovered that when it came to behind-the-scenes manipulation and manoeuvring, all roads lead back to Michael Gove. As one source told me, he binds all the dark arts people together. But this is now. There's always been shadowy cliques running parties in Britain, America, all the countries. This is how it works. I'll get to that in a minute, as I said. Gove was in cahoots with Boris's advisor Dominic Cummings, a disruptor by nature. He was known as the Dark Lord for all his scheming, a nickname he reveled in. In a revealing interview with Laura Quensberg in 2021, which went astonishingly unchallenged and unremarked at the time, uh, he admitted that he and a few others were discussing getting rid of Boris within days of him winning the biggest Conservative majority in decades. Uh, and the, uh, the article goes on to say that this guy, Dr. No, uh, has been involved for 40 years and is a key player in central office in number 10, who very few people have ever met. Dougie Smith kind of led them and then stood for chairman until someone pointed out that he was not actually a student and was in fact much older than the rest of them. The Federation was way over on the very right of the party. It was actually funded by the party back then, but they caused a lot of trouble. I mean, it was putting forward the total liberalisation of drug laws, incest and paedophilia, hanging Nelson Mandela. Not everyone agreed with the extreme positions, but the core members, those who did, were more like anarchists. Uh, Nadine Doris was told by a contact she says that she gave the codename Skyfall and isn't it interesting that the Westminster investigation into uh, child abuse uh, which we heard about uh, what was that about a decade or so ago now was involving uh, politicians in the Conservative Party who were accused of paedophilia and I've talked about it in the podcast and written about that in pay-per-view in print, my first book, in more detail, The Paedophilia, not just in Britain, but also in America and government. Anyway, the article says that this guy, uh, Dougie Smith, is now a key advisor to Rishi Sunak, and has been in charge of Tory candidate selection since Theresa May. 
Smith was described to me, and Nadine Doris says, as a bully and a genius, an intimidating man who has total meltdowns. When he is unhappy, he will call people at all hours of the night and scream at them. His arrogance is such that in 2021, just over a year after Boris had won his historic election, Smith rang Boris and told him to stand down. As for Dr. No, if ever there was someone you'd think was the perfect target for investigative journalism, he surely was that. Given that he is paid by central office, has a pass to number 10, and some say Rishi Sunak does not move without first seeking his advice. And yet people can spend years working in number 10 and never hear his name. Dr. No was once on remand in prison for alleged arson. When a girlfriend ended their relationship, it is rumoured that he had her little brother's pet rabbit chopped into four and nailed to the front door of the family home to greet him when he got home from school in true mafia style. I also heard stories of how he liked to hint that he had once been a spook. What really made my ears prick up was the story I was hearing from senior figures within the party, people with responsibility for the party's finances. Each time a new party chairman or treasurer came along and looked at the books in central office, they asked who are these people we are paying an extraordinary amount of money to as employees of CCHQ, Conservative Campaign Headquarters. Who is this one? Dr. No? He never comes in and why has no one ever met him? I've never met him. Has anyone ever met him? No one knew who Dr. No was or even what he did, apart from Michael Gove and a select few, and of course, Prime Ministers. I interviewed a number of high-profile figures and they all told me the same story. Dr. No was never in the CCHQ building, rarely seen in number 10 by the civil servants. He was this invisible figure and every party chairman would conclude when pouring over the accounts. Or sack him then. We don't pay people who don't earn their money. We are a political party, not a charity. Within no time at all of that decision being taken, the phone would ring and it would be Michael Gove, who would very robustly make it clear that Dr. No was going nowhere and would remain on the CCHQ payroll. He would spin stories about how he was the employee who dealt in the dark arts and would cast this cloak of secrecy, like you can't go there or know who he is. You just have to accept it and keep paying the money. It was very clear there was no way Gove was letting him go. It was utterly bizarre. Dr. No is the strategist who the Prime Minister will speak to, often daily sometimes. He was said to have seen the inside of a cell in Brixton Jail on remand for alleged harassment. He has facilitated Rishi's journey all the way into number 10. Without Dr. No, Rishi Sunak would never have been Prime Minister. As I've pointed out before, it's the People in the shadows, people you never see, who have far more influence over who becomes prime minister, president, etc. than the people do. And so the question is, who does Dr. No answer to? And it will be the same in the Labour Party. And in America, there's what's known as the neocons, neoconservatives. And they were prominent during the George W. Bush administration and in the war on terror, 9-11. And in the Democratic Party, they you have what you might call the Democons. Uh, it, the people really running the party, not political leaders and those who appear to be. And then 
you go one step back from the neocons to the democons and you get closer to this cult. Okay, we move on to the next story now. This is in the Daily Mail. Harvard and Yale scientists investigate new condition dubbed long vax, debilitating sweep of symptoms linked to COVID shock that lasts months and resembles long COVID, but scientists stress it's extremely rare and benefits of vaccination outweigh the risk. Well, they only outweigh the risk if there is a risk. And for there to be a risk, there must be a virus. And as I pointed out in great detail in my new book, Reality Check, and in this podcast several times, there never was a virus. And viruses don't exist anyway, as again I've detailed in the new book and this podcast before it. So in great detail. So the article says, Scientists are investigating a new condition believed to be caused by COVID vaccination, double long vax. Experts at Harvard and Yale are studying the debilitating suite of problems that appear in hours, days or weeks after getting a shot but can persist for months. Experts stress the condition is extremely rare, relatively mild. All the COVID uh, fake vaccine consequences are always rare, aren't they? And then you see how many people suffer with those problems after being vaccinated and quite a lot for something that's supposed to be rare anyway uh, experts stress the condition is extremely rare relatively are they really experts if they think it's rare and if they think the benefits outweigh the risks are they really experts they say it's relatively mild compared to severe covid but that's if there is a covid which says not uh, the article uh, continues they do not want the issue to be seized upon by the anti-vax movement that has gained momentum during the pandemic. Patients with so-called long vax appear to suffer symptoms similar to long COVID, including headaches, intense tiredness and abnormal heart rate and blood pressure. However, some symptoms appear unique to the vaccine-induced conditions, such as tingling, burning pain and blood circulation issues. The true number of people affected is not yet known, but anecdotally, doctors have seen dozens of patients coming in with symptoms that align with the condition. Dr. Harlan Krumholtz, a cardiologist at Yale, is leading a study of around 2,000 people inside the issue. He admits it is controversial because the COVID vaccines have saved millions of lives. No, they've not, because there's nothing to save people from. And studies show that jabs also lower the risk of long COVID by around a third. Again, no evidence for that. For there to be evidence, there must be a virus. Uh, for comparison, long COVID is relatively common, with one in eight adults who get infected with the virus suffering symptoms and months after clearing the acute illness, according to the CDC. Are those flu-like symptoms that you can get from flus and colds? The huge benefit of COVID vaccination and the toxic anti-vax movement has left scientists uncomfortable about speaking up about long vax, according to Dr. Krumholtz, who includes himself in that. Uh, what research? The journalist who wrote this article done to whether the to whether it's a toxic anti-vax movement. Uh, no. Uh, Dr. Krumholtz said he feared any studies into the issue being seized upon by conspiracy theorists, but after observing a rising number of cases of long vax, he said, "I'm persuaded that there's something going on with these side effects. It's my obligation, if I truly am a scientist, to have an open mind and learn if there's something that can be done." Dr. Anne-Louise Oaklander, a neurologist and researcher at Harvard Medical School, echoed his comments. Uh, she said, you see one or two patients with possible long vax and you wonder if it's a coincidence. But by the time you've seen 10, 20, where there's smoke, there's fire. 
Long COVID is thought to be caused by persistent pieces of the COVID virus lurking in the body or an overreactive immune system unable to reset itself. In long vax, researchers suggest it is being caused by a similar immune overreaction to the COVID spike protein that the vaccine uses to generate antibodies. One idea is that some people produce a second round of antibodies which then mistakenly attack the healthy cells. The antibodies might also bind to H2, a receptor that aids regulation of blood pressure and heart rate, but is also used by COVID to enter the body. If the antibodies get in the way of H2 signaling, then that could lead to the faster heart rates and fluctuating blood pressure. When there's a few points there, which I won't bother to go into now, but I have in the new book uh, about antibodies and receptors and viruses. I mean, human biology is very different to what we're told. And of course, the thing is, if you can say, well, we can't tell the difference between long COVID and long vax, then the consequences of the vac fake vaccine can be attributed to COVID. You see, that's the trick. Tom Shima Bakuro of the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, told a government advisory committee in January that long vats and other symptoms occurring after vaccination is a challenging outcome to monitor. Researchers are increasingly discovering overlaps with other medical conditions. One is small fibroneuropathy, where nerve damage can cause tingling sensations, burning pain, and blood circulation issues. The second is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, which is sometimes set off by symptoms of small fibroneuropathy causing muscle weakness, heart rate and blood pressure fluctuations, fatigue and brain fog. Patients with symptoms after a COVID shot might display aspects of either condition, even if they do not reach the threshold for diagnosis, meaning milder cases could be slipping under the radar. Another story about the COVID fake vaccine now, this is also in the Daily Mail. This is, words were my life, but now they're gone. Actress 42 left unable to perform after suffering stroke triggered by AstraZeneca COVID jab. An Australian actor who got a COVID jab while living in the UK has told of a heartbreak after suffering a rare but devastating side effect of vaccination. In February 2020, Mel Stewart was enjoying standing ovations in Belfast for her role in the musical Kiss Me Kate. Now the 42-year-old struggles to put a sentence together, speaking only slowly and grieving for the successful stage career she has lost. Miss Stewart is a victim of a vanishingly rare side effect of the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine, which she received in May 2021 as part of the nation's historic jab rollout. Like a handful of other Brits, she suffered a devastating blood clot complication from the jab, resulting in a stroke that robbed her of her ability to talk and walk. The point is, only a t as with vaccines in general, uh, estimated anywhere from between 10 to 1% of Side effects, consequences are ever reported. And with the COVID fake vaccine, it will be closer to 1% because of all the pressure on doctors not to report anything. So you can't really know whether these side effects really are rare or whether they're more common than we're told. I would suggest the latter. Anyway, the article continues. Miss Stewart got her first COVID vaccine on May 24, 2021, the then Sandown Park Vaccination Centre in London. She recalled how a volunteer at the centre had remarked she looked too young to be eligible for the AstraZeneca jab. Just weeks prior, health officials had pulled the AstraZeneca jab for anyone under 40 years of age, spooked by a link to potentially deadly blood clots in this group. So if you're under 40, you could get blood clots. 
What about 41? Miss Stewart corrected the volunteer as she had turned 40 in November 2020. With that, she got the AstraZeneca jab, even getting a post-jab sticker to mark the occasion. Two weeks later, she was fighting for her life. Miss Stewart awoke at midnight 14 days after the jab due to a strange feeling on the right side of the body. She tried to get out of bed but collapsed. Rushed to the hospital, she quickly lost all ability to walk and speak. Scans revealed she had suffered a stroke caused by two blood clots that had formed in the main vein of her brain. Surgeons battled to save her life, eventually being forced to remove part of her skull in a desperate bid to reduce the pressure building up in the brain. Investigations revealed she was a victim of vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic thrombosis, a complication from an AstraZeneca COVID vaccine so rare it was missed in clinical trials. Was it missed? Really? Look at what the Pfizer documents, which they tried to keep hidden for 75 years revealed about what they knew about what the COVID pit vaccine can do. So was this complication from the AstraZeneca COVID vaccine, was it really missed? VIIT occurs when the body's immune system mistakenly attacks a normal component of the blood called platelet factor 4, causing clumps that can go on to form blood clots. Miss Stewart will spend the next few weeks in an induced coma, receiving blood transfusions to help remove the antibodies causing the clots. After waking, Miss Stewart spent an extended stay in hospital learning to walk and speak again, only leaving in February last year. Mr. Lewis, a fellow actor, stopped working to care for his wife. He insisted the couple are not anti-vaxxers, but believed they were misled about the safety of the child by the government. Oh, he might have been. Yeah, he might have been. We had an expectation this vaccine was safe to use, but AstraZeneca was not safe to use in this case, he told the Telegraph. What's that phrase? Don't assume, because assume makes an ass out of you and me. Got a whole chapter on the COVID fake vaccine in the new book. So, the synthetic human agenda, the gender agenda, the COVID fake vaccine, where is it all leading? Well, among other things, it's leading here with the last story today. This is in the Daily Mail. NatWest's new AI powered chatbot will be just like talking with a human. NatWest is launching a version of its chatbot that can have human-like conversations with customers as it accelerates its adoption of artificial intelligence. The High Street Bank said its upgraded virtual assistant, Core Plus, will be powered by generative AI. It means customers will be able to ask questions and get answers in a more natural and conversational style, replicating what staff at the bank can do. Core Plus, which the bank created with technology giant IBM, massive cult, Corporation IBM can access information from multiple sources that were previously inaccessible to the chatbot alone. It will therefore give personalized answers in response to complex queries about product services, information about the bank, as well as career opportunities. As I said earlier, phasing out the elderly as more and more things in society become run by technology. The agenda end game. As I've said many times before in this podcast, and I detail uh, in in the books that the end game is that humanity is connected to AI, 
the human mind is replaced by AI and artificial intelligence runs society in general through the smart grid and through taking jobs and the connection to the human mind. That's where it's all going. And in reality check, I look at the nature of this AI and what it really is and the mentality and where it's designed to be controlled from ultimately in the end. So that's the agenda unless we decide we're not going to accept it and to do that people need to get informed and that's what this podcast is all about so thank you for listening again thank you for listening the last five years and here's to many more i've got some exciting things planned for next year so i can't wait to the hundredth episode will be coming up soon as well so got some plans for that so i hope you have a very merry christmas happy new year and i'll talk to you next time goodbye